You're listening to Season 5, Episode Number 2 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Winfield Bevins. We talk about his latest book, Marks of a Movement, What the Church Today Can Learn from the Wesleyan Revival. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. One of the things that I really enjoy about church history is looking at the history of uh, the early uh, Methodist church. And there is a book that you need to be aware of, and uh, the author, you need to be aware of him as well if you have not had a chance to, uh, to learn about this brother. But today on Strike the Match, uh, my guest is Winfield Bevins, and we're going to be talking about uh, his latest book, Marks of a Movement, a fantastic work uh, that uh, is, I think, going to be very helpful to many today. Uh, Winfield is the uh, director of the Church Planting Center at Asbury Theological Seminary. He oversees the Global Church Planting Initiative, teaches there at Asbury, and he has written several works, uh, some other books uh, that he has written ever ancient, ever new, the allure of liturgy for a new generation, uh, discovering John Wesley, uh, our common prayer, uh, grow our home, or grow at home, excuse me, and, and, and several others. Um, this brother has, uh, has just a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of ministry experience, and so it is a delight to, to have you, brother, with us on Strike the Match. So welcome, Winfield. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Man, I tell you what, um, Asbury has to be in probably uh, one of the most uh, off-the-map places when it comes to uh, Kentucky, because I mean, I grew up there. I remember uh, uh, driving down to your campus and doing research. Yeah, we are out there. Um, you know, it's a small town just outside of Lexington, but it's, uh, it's a fascinating place where the world really converges. Uh, Asbury's probably one of the the most global seminaries in the United States. We've got 140 denominations, about um, 40 different nationalities represented um, just on, on campus. Man, that that is fantastic. Uh, the school just has an incredible uh, global legacy. Uh, I remember uh, living in Lexington and uh, commuting, driving down to using your library to uh, use the uh, the missions and evangelism section when I was writing papers when I was a, a seminary student and uh, just just what the Lord has been doing through that institution even in recent days with your president and just the the heart for the nations man that that has to be a blessing to work in that atmosphere it absolutely is uh, two weeks ago I you know I was telling my kids you know uh, one of our girls asked hey daddy what'd you do today and I, I said well I, this morning I met with a pastor from India I had lunch with a, a church leader who's um, Native American doing church planning work among Native Americans in the United States and that afternoon I met with a church planning leader from Kenya and that, that was just one day yeah in, in, a, in a community that that a lot of people uh, you know just are not aware of but fantastic. Well, hey, some of the listeners uh, may not be familiar with you. So you, you mentioned uh, one of your children. So, hey, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, yeah, so family-wise, married, uh, Kay's my wife, and we've got three young girls. And, uh, you know, part of my background is um, we, 
yeah, let's see, about 15 years ago, had planted a church in a little island called Outer Banks, North Carolina. And um, it was just, you know, it's, it's a long story how we ended up there, but it was kind of one of those places statistically, you know, it's, you know, it wasn't a huge population, but the Lord called us there and God really used that time there to kind of connect us with church planning leaders in Raleigh and other areas. Um, and we had kind of launched an interdenominational network and helped plant about a hundred churches in North and South Carolina. And, um, from there, the Lord just kind of just kind of built a platform to kind of do church planner training with different denominations, um, Hispanic Latino networks, and then eventually um, just working with global kind of church movements. And so I've been at uh, Asbury Seminary reached out to me um, about five years ago. So I've been at Asbury for five years, and it's just been really the most exciting five years of my ministry, um, just because it has just, uh, just introduced us to the global church in just ways we had just never really known. You, you are a prolific, uh, writer and, uh, your most recent book, Marks of a Movement, uh, what the church today can learn from the Wesleyan revival, uh, is one that, that I think you know, brings together uh, the elements of some of those things that you mentioned in your past, that global vision and that uh, desire to train others and your, your background in church planting. I know, I know that um, uh, this is a work that uh, the exponential uh, resources uh, have their stamp uh, on the book as well. So let, let's, let's start there. Let's talk about this book. So, so give us an understanding of the summary of uh, this work that you have just recently published. Yeah, I think... You know, a lot of people talk about movements. Um, we hear statistics regularly about the rapid decline of the church, the rise of the religious nuns in North America. Um, and, you know, also with just the, you know, what's happening through the global church. I mean, there's so many amazing things that are kind of just happening globally, but we're not necessarily seeing those in the West. And so as I began to press into church history, and I know you've done a lot of this, and I've appreciated, um, you know, I actually use your church planning book in uh, one of my courses uh, because some of the historic case studies that you use. And really, there's no greater example of what a movement would look like uh, than looking, you know, just a few hundred years ago into the pages of church history and looking at the Wesleyan Revival, um, that, you know, kind of came out of the Great Awakening. Um, you know, the Wesleys, Whitfield was involved with this, you know, the Great Awakening swept through North America. And really the Methodists were kind of at the heart of that. And in about a generation, it became um, the fastest growing, largest denomination in the United States. And it just literally swept, swept the country by storm. And they these circuit rider preachers, you know, they, they went into the highways and the hedges. I mean, they really, um, they, they were out there on the front lines. And so part of the heartbeat behind the book is I think there are principles and practices and lessons that we can actually learn and apply to our contemporary context, um, for today. 
so so I I noticed like you know your your chapter headings uh, understanding movements uh, change lives a contagious faith the Holy Spirit discipleship systems apostolic leadership organic multiplication and uh, some others um, the, the, you said something important there about the principles uh, you, you tell tell me your thoughts on this you know I I every now and then will encounter people that when you begin to talk about something historic. They immediately think that you are wanting to take the church and take society back to that time, um, but that's not what you're saying in this book. You're talking about let's let's learn from what they did and contextualize that to our day. Is that what you're getting at? That's absolutely it, and that's exactly what the Wesleys did. Um, it was you know it started off as an evangelical Anglican movement uh, as as and. You know, Wesley was a part of his denomination to the day he died, and so this isn't a call to leave your denomination, even. Um, but it's, but exactly, it's not a call for kind of returning to the good old days. But how do we kind of look at um, these lessons from history and contextualize those for the current context in which we find ourselves in? And that that's exactly what the I think one of kind of the significant geniuses of, of the Wesleyan revival was. It was a contextualized uh, missionary disciple-making movement um, for the for them. It was the new world. Mm-hmm. So w- when you use that word movement, uh, can you give us a definition? Can you describe that term for us? Yeah. So as you, you know, one of the chapters looks at movements. And for me, um, it's it's returning to the basic understanding that literally movements are happening all around us. Um, there's, you know, social justice movements, there's the Me Too movement, um, you know, and so essentially movements are kind of sociological phenomenons. They, they, they're people, essentially, that's what movements are. They're not slogans, they're not um, branding, marketing, but essentially we're talking uh, when traction and um, things begin to happen and, and kind of uh, people kind of coalesce together around a common cause. That's that's when movements happen. And so Christianity, at, at its very essence, at the very heart of Christianity, is the Jesus movement. It started with Jesus, you know, with a handful of followers. Um, you know, Robert Coleman's great work, The Master Plan, uh, reminds us of how Jesus started with 12 disciples. And, you know, the tipping point of pouring into those 12 disciples, he was raising them up for when he was no longer there, that they were able to replicate and multiply themselves and others. And that's when the movement, re- the tipping point really began to happen. So movements essentially are kind of a s- sociological phenomenon of people movements. And so in Christian terms, uh, Christianity is a movement in and of the people. One of the things that I like about this book is that you have a chapter on the Holy Spirit. So, so you you don't see obviously this expansion, this movement happening without that pneumatological reality. Yes. Yeah. I. So again, movements. Um, you know, this isn't a program. The book's not designed to. You know do these 10 steps and you'll get this result. Movements um, are a work of God, and it, it, it happens as people really submit all of themselves. They surrender themselves 
to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and, uh, you know, the open, kind of a fresh openness to the person and work of the Holy Spirit in a way that they're led by the Spirit, they're used by the Spirit um, to accomplish God's mission um, here on earth. So there really is a supernatural dimension to global, and you see this in global movements, um, just a fresh openness to the per- person and work of the Spirit. Uh, movements aren't man-made. They can't be manufactured, um, but they're a work of the Spirit. So help us to to think through um, how the uh, the results, uh, how, how the church was, was functioning during and after that Wesleyan revival uh, that resulted in Disciple making movement. In other words, what were the what were the the methods? What were the the acts that they were doing? I know you know you'd mentioned circuit riding and some others, but what 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 were some of the things? If you were going to boil this down to saying here's here's a handful of things that they did, what what would those things be? Yeah, I think um, discipleship. You know, one of the the first chapter in there, I call it changed lives, and what I mean by that is people encounter God um, in fresh ways in movements, and so Wesley had his kind of famous heart strangely warmed experience. A lot of these early Methodists, they really, um, they had a genuine encounter with God. They really, they, they were born again. They were experiencing, um, you know, the life tra- transforming work of Jesus. Um, so it kind of starts there, but you need to follow up with discipleship. And that was kind of the difference between Wesley and George Whitfield. You know, Whitfield was this famous preacher um, who, uh, you know, on both sides of the Atlantic. And, uh, you know, today, Whitfield has no followers. You know, there's no movement that he started. He, he was a spark, um, but Wesley kind of followed up with creating disciple-making systems. And, and so the genius of the, you know, is really what we call, a lot of us in our churches, we call small groups. Well, Wesley called them class meetings. Um, these, these would kind of be the equivalent to our modern-day small groups, where to be a Methodist was to be not a member on a roll somewhere and attend church once a month. You had to actually be a member of a class meeting. Yeah, there was, there was an expectation that was set that was there. High expectation. And so membership, again, wasn't Sunday morning attendance in a large gathering. Membership was to be a member of the class meeting. I, you know, I'm sitting on my desk, a class meeting ticket um, from the early 1800s um, that was signed by the, you know, the, the class meeting leader. Um, you know, it's got a little scripture on it. And um, this, this, they had a ticket, you know, you had to have a ticket and you had to maintain that ticket. So, so there, there were high expectations. Um, and the, when they removed the class meeting, uh, and we might talk about that here in a minute, that marked the decline of Methodism. That's That was one of the factors. You know, you mentioned Whitfield a moment ago. You know, there's that, that famous uh, statement about him believing that his converts were like a rope of sand. Uh, and and you, I think you hit, hit on it. I mean, the big difference uh, was, you know, what did, uh, what happened to those that came to faith uh, as a result of the work of, of Wesley and others uh, after uh, they made that uh, public declaration, and they wanted to see them being, you know, fruit-bearing disciples. Mm-hmm. It was really it was a disciple-making movement, and I think that, you know, as we look at movements, movements that, you know, there's a lot of flash-in-the-pan stuff. 
Um, and yes, there was uh, excitement around the Methodist revival, the camp meetings, there was enthusiasm and there was, there were religious excesses, but the genius of Methodism was there were systems to uh, disciple people, to make sure that they grew. And I, I think that is kind of one of the greatest lessons that we can learn uh, for today. And then out of that, um, J.D., also was uh, that the Wesleyan movement was a leadership movement. It, they raised up thousands of leaders. Um, Howard Snyder, who's a friend and mentor, you know, he said uh, the Wesleyan he said the Methodist movement didn't just make converts, but it raised up thousands of leaders. And so part of this, this structure dynamic created a context where people uh, were became disciple-making leaders. Everyone had a role and a part to play in what God was doing. Yeah. You, you, on that note, you've got a chapter called Apostolic Leadership. I, 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 I love that title. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's provocative, and and a lot of our uh, listeners, uh, when they get a copy of your book, you know that's they're going to be drawn to that chapter. Uh, what are you, what are you talking about in that chapter? Yeah, it's it's essentially kind of recovering kind of the apostolic impulse or DNA of, of the early church, and so again, Wesley was working within the Anglican context, and for him. Uh, he he kind of honored the tradition um, that he was a part of, but he said he began to identify that lay people were not involved or engaged um, in, in the life of the church. It was a very clerical, clergy-centered, and that, that's what we've done in North America. That's probably, if I had to be honest, one of the biggest contributing factors to the decline of Christianity in the West is We've we've shifted, uh, we've bought and sold, you know, the farm on paid professional clergy. Yeah, we still have that dichotomy uh, that exists between clergy and, and to use the phrase or use the term laity. I mean, it still exactly. exists. Yeah, and it's across denominations. That's right. This isn't one particular. Tr- we're all um, a part of this, and so what Wesley did was he for him the apostle you know George Hunter referred to Methodism as a lay apostolic order and so part of the historiography of, of, of the Wesleys was there were these religious orders that they saw they were kind of reviving this idea of gathering these lay people in these orders to empower them to be like lay evangelists lay preachers and provocatively you had men and women um, that were preaching and teaching and sharing and going. And he was really, so the apostolic impulse, you know, the apostolic, you know, from the Greek word, you know, means, essentially just means sent. Um, and so he was kind of tapping back into that and releasing and sending people to go and um, to fulfill the Great Commission. You know, one of the things that, uh, I read uh, that David Hesselgrave wrote one time. He he was talking about the training of leaders, and specifically he was in a church planning context. He he said that uh, in many ways the selection and training of leaders are the most important aspects of church planting, and his his rationale was because these individuals will not only manage church affairs, but they will model the faith for good or for ill. And it seems like Wesley was was aware of that, that leadership was critical. Absolutely. And I think that that was, you know, there were, you have these discipleship structures um, and out of them, he created a very kind of clear way to identify and to watch people. And 
it essentially was a leadership ladder. It was a leadership pipeline to raise up leaders all across the movement. And so in that book, um, kind of toward the end, I look at some of the different leaders. I even include a section called Wesley's 12 Rules for Leaders. He was very um, diligent in trying to understand. He modeled it himself. Um, the, these structures created a leadership pipeline, so it was very intentional. How do we raise people up from you know being a drunkard on the street to being the leader over a class meeting to eventually being a regional um, leader? And so one of the key things he looked at is, is having people lead according to their own gifts. Um, and he released people and he allowed them part of the structure, created accountability. Um, but it, that really, the leadership structure was really one of the geniuses of the movement. So for the, the, the church planter uh, or someone that's in a church that doesn't have a great deal of uh, a structure already in place, uh, I mean, I could see how they could implement – uh, some of these principles uh, fairly quickly and, and with somewhat ease. Uh, but what about uh, the established church leaders? Because there are many that are listening to this that are in uh, uh, established church context. What, what can they learn from this book? Yeah, that's a great um, question. You know, toward the end of the book, I, I included a chapter. Um, you know, the editors um, asked the question. They said, well, you know, you know, weren't there issues in the, you know, every, there's no perfect movement. I think that's one of the things that we see and you have revival movements and then you have kind of falling away. And, um, one of the things I did was I added a chapter called movements are messy. And, uh, it looks at, you know, what are, what are some of the, what contributed to the decline of Methodism? Um, and at the end of that chapter, I began to ask the question, can, can churches be renewed? And, and, and it, you know, this isn't all about just starting something new, um, but again, keep in mind, Wesley was trying to renew the church, and in many ways, his, what he worked for did accomplish that all across various denominations across England and North America, brought fresh new life. Um, and so in the end of that chapter, um, I, I talk about what's happening in Church of England with some of my friends there through church planning renewal that's bringing renewal back um, to the church. And so I'm uh, encouraged through the work is I think there are principles that can be applied uh, for church planning, but also I think uh, a lot of this book is really can bring renewal to established mainline um, denominational churches as well that are just hungry to see a movement um, in in, in their own context. And we developed in, in the back of the book, there's a, a marks of a movement assessment tool, a free assessment tool that can be used to kind of just help local pastors, church leaders kind of evaluate, like, are we experiencing movemental dynamics? And if not, how can we think through implementing that in our context? That's great. I really, really appreciate you you know, including that because uh, so many times when, when we write and we talk about uh, some of these more apostolic aspects, we forget about the pastoral uh, audience you know, that exists. And so that's, I'm so glad that you put that in there. Uh, Brother, how can uh, the listeners get in touch with you? Where are you uh, on social media? Do you have a, a, a blog site, something that uh, they can reach out to you and connect with you and find out more about your ministry and uh, read more of your work? Absolutely. Um, I, you know, my personal website is winfieldbevins.com. 
Yeah, W-I-N-F-I-E-L-D-B-E-V-I-N-S.com. Um, and on there, I've got, you know, a list of my books. I update, you know, occasionally on the blog on there. Um, you know, the best way also to interact with me is on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Winfield Bevins on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm also an artist, and so I have stuff on Instagram. I kind of use that for family and kind of art. Uh, but the the website for Marks of a Movement is simply marksofamovement.com. And so if you're a church leader, a pastor that's looking at how do we kind of implement this for our church, how do we think through movement in our local setting, um, on the website there's free downloads uh, for – there's an assessment that's free. There's, um, there's like a study guide that goes with it. There's free videos as well. Um, that you could take churches through this. So we tried to build the website out with just tons of resources. Um, it's also got a list of some of the endorsements. Um, but really, I've, my passion and for this book was how do we equip the church in North America um, to, to really just sow for a movement and just seek God for a fresh renewal and movement in our day. WinfieldBevins.com and MarksOfAMovement.com, two websites, folks, you all need to um, to check out, uh, and you also need to track him down on Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram. Uh, Winfield, I was in a w- recent meeting uh, with Ed Stetzer, and there were several uh, church planting uh, professors that were in the room. And I remember Ed uh, sharing that um, right now in the United States, uh, Asbury is doing an outstanding job in the area of church planting, church planting training, and leadership development. So, brother, keep up the, the great work that you're doing there. Amen. Thanks so much for having me, J.D. I I really enjoyed it and appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you. We've been talking about uh, Winfield's latest book, Marks of a Movement, uh, subtitled What the Church Today Can Learn from the Wesleyan Revival by Zondervan. You need to get a copy of this book and don't just uh, read it and shelve it, but use it as a tool to begin to talk uh, with your leaders and involve them in that process. Winfield Bevins has been my guest. So thankful that uh, you could be on uh, Strike the Match today, brother. Thanks so much for having me. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Penn. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.